Um, for those of you who are joining us this morning online, welcome. We're glad that you've uh, chosen to spend these next few minutes with us as we drop into our worship service here at the time of uh, the message. And uh, we look forward to time we'll be able to see you in person if you live in the area and that's possible for you. Ephesians 5 and 1 is where we're going to start this morning. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Dearly loved children and live a life of love. That's really the title of today's message. Live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself us for, up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God. So we have a model there for how we're to live a life of love. And we have a perspective in place from where we are to live this life of love. One of the things that I think about as I've gone through this, this, this week and really examined again how I am living a life of love or not living a life of love, there's some things that, that just popped out to me in the course of this study that I want to put in your mind before we begin. Selfishness is the opposite of living a life of love. That's a, that's a pretty bad motivation. Self-sacrifice is what you see in the life of Christ Jesus. Um, responsibility is something that you pretty much have to step into at some point if you're going to live love. Sacrifice is going to be a word you're going to have to deal with if you're going to live a life of love. So just kind of throw those in your think tank as we're walking through this because love is a choice in a real sense. Uh, I don't have to feel love to do what love is. And uh, if... If you're waiting on the feeling, you're probably never going to be much of a person who's going to live a life of love because you're not always going to feel like loving. But you choose to do that. And in that choosing, you can choose it sometimes with a pretty poor motivation. And Mike and I have talked about this often. We're going to get to heaven and we've done a lot of things that probably aren't going to count for nothing because the bottom line was there was another motivation somehow in there or self-preservation that we were looking for in the process. Some of us are smart enough to understand the law of the harvest, to know that we're going to reap whatever we sow, and there's a self-preservation thing that says, hmm, I need to sow a few good things. I'm sowing plenty of garbage. Let's sow a few good things so that I can have something come around on the other side that's going to be good also. And there can be a real self-preservation in the acts that we perform that are love where we really are not moving and acting and living in what love really is. And it begins, I think, somehow with landing on the right perspective. You ever observed a divorce situation where uh, one of the kids out of that looks at the parents, sometimes both of them, sometimes one of the parents, and they are angry and they're bitter at the way the parents have loved each other? the way that they have loved them, and they say, I am never going to be like my parents, right? Have you seen that? Lots of times. Just a lot of bitterness. And they put it in concrete in their life that they are never going to imitate that parent. They're never going to do what that parent did. Be imitators of God, he says, as dearly loved children. Sometimes by looking at the opposite of that, we can see what the positive side of it is. 
be imitators of God as dearly loved children. We see it when the children are not dearly loved, how they can push away on the other side and not want to imitate anything about their parents. In fact, they reject it all. But take another home. Take a home where the mom and dad love each other spiritually. They're mature parents. They're growing together in the Lord. There's forgiveness that's practiced in the home. Love for the parents is stable. Love with God is stable. The love of the children is stable. Okay, now let's take that little phrase, live a life of love. And let's put that little phrase, live a life of love, into that, into that Hallmark movie for a minute, all right? The one with the, the good parents. The one with the parents that love each other and they love the Lord and they love the kids and they're, they're, they're pulling all of this under as much as they can with love and forgiveness and grace in the ways of the Lord. Living a life of love there is pretty easy, isn't it? I mean, it should be. If you're that child in that situation and you're not able to live that life of love, you're in a mess. Okay, so now take that on the other side of the coin and put that same phrase, live a life of love into that divorce situation. Wow. One is pretty easy. One can be pretty difficult, right? We have a love relationship with God. It's the perspective of where we begin that's absolutely incredible. He says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. At some point, we have to embrace that. We have to realize that as children of God, we're in the Hallmark movie, all right? We are dearly loved children of God. And sometimes I think we struggle with that. And if we don't get, if we don't get that right at, at the very foundational roots here, then we're, we're not standing on the place where love is going to be easy for us. Does that make sense? It's almost like you're standing in the home that's divorced because you have divorced yourselves from the truth of God and how much he loves you. And so you're going to react to your world differently. And love for you is not going to be easy. Love for you is going to be very difficult. So perspective and where we stand is huge. If you're looking for those kind of truths that we can nail down that are universal and timeless and unchanging. That we so want to, to just define things by. If you were to say live a life of love, what does that look like? Probably all of you who are Bible students would immediately go to uh, 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> okay, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13. It kind of nails it down, doesn't it? And this is kind of a blueprint, black and white. If you're looking for those biblical truths, what does love look like? You can read this and overwhelm yourself. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, well, I'm just a noisy, resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, yeah, I got nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, I guess that's in sacrifice of service to our Lord, I would say. But I don't have love. I'm just nothing. I've gained nothing. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. It does not envy, and it does not boast. It is not proud. God absolutely hates pride. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Wow. In our society that is so angry right now, that's not love. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. And this kind of love never fails. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they're going to cease. Where there are tongues, they're going to be silent. Stilled. But where there is knowledge, there it's going to pass away. And really, we know so little here. His ways are so not our ways. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes... The imperfection disappears. When I was a child, he said, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish ways. I put them behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I just know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So there, if you're looking for something that really talks about those truths of what love is that are timeless and universal and unchanging, those are still going to be good for your children, your children's children. They're good for the people on the other side of the world. And they, they are um, those things that we would look at to nail down what love is in a definition way. But I want to go back to just for a minute and consider what it is to be, to see ourselves as, and in this place of a dearly loved child of God. We are created in the image of God. Would you agree with that? <laughs> okay, good. First premise you agree with. And if you talk about God and his nature and his character, what's going to be the top of your list? What? Love. God is love, it says. It's, it is through the pages of Scripture. If you're going to come out with one attribute that stands out to most of us, that jumps off the pages of Scripture, it's that God loves. He loves us. It is his nature. It is his character. So you're buying that with me too. As such, being created in his image... We have ability then, I believe, to receive and to give love. It's a part of being created in the image of God. Now, whatever else that means, we can debate and talk about, and surely this is not all of it, but I believe that we have a capacity to love, a capacity to give, and a capacity to receive love. In Deuteronomy, way back in the Old Testament, the sixth chapter, the fourth through the fifth verses, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
I don't think God would have asked them to do something that at least in some capacity they were not capable of doing. Now, there might have been a lot about love that they didn't get or didn't understand. Or, I mean, that's always a growing thing. Our understanding and perspective of love then is going to be important if we're going to love God and love others. I think in our world today, tragically, there are a lot of deceived people that are calling things love that are really not love. Do you see that? They're practicing a worldly counterfeit, I believe. And I think that if we're not careful, that bleeds over into our lives as Christians and it bleeds over into our thinking in the church. And I want us not to do that. I just feel like much that people are trying to pass off as love today, it's not love. So per perspective is of, of extreme importance. If we get in the right place, then we, we're in a spot where our love can grow. Paul, in fact, talked about love being a growing thing earlier in the book of Ephesians. He prayed there in the third chapter that they would have the power to grasp the love of God. And in this grasping of the love of God, they would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Which makes sense if we understand that God is love. Let me read that to you in Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derive its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with all power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? Why? So we can be supercharged Christians and go out and win the world to Christ. No. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then I pray that you, being rooted and established in this love, in his love, may have power together with all the saints to do what? To move mountains? To cast them into the ocean? No, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now that makes sense if you think God is love. So if you're filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and that big attribute of God that jumps out in our life is love, then we're going to be filled to all the fullness of God as we understand and move into this love. So it's safe to say our ability to grow in love is going to impact everything. And I think it's relative to our understanding and our experience. If you will give me that premise for just a minute, then I would make a conjecture, and it's this. The best way to understand love, I think, is to experience it, the real thing. I think it's better caught than taught. Would you agree? To textbook, textbook learn love, say something like the five love languages, is that a value? Yeah, it's a value. But to experience love is not just head knowledge, where we take principles and we randomly apply them. It's to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's it. To know a love that surpasses knowledge. That's much more than a cognitive exercise, isn't it? It's to know by personal experience. 
And it touches every part of whatever we are as a whole person. Now let's consider this passage. Mark 12, 28. Of all the commandments, which is the most important, Jesus was asked. The most important one Jesus answered is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Kind of a repeat of what was said in Deuteronomy. And then he adds to it. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater command than this. Evidently, there was a self-preservation thing that God felt like we understood of loving ourselves that made a really good illustration for how we were to love our neighbor. There are no greater commandments than these. Okay, now, I said that love then is something that touches our whole person, right? And so he's saying here that we're to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's think about those for a minute. Your heart is the emotional part of you. The soul is your spirit or spiritual part. The mind is your mental part. It's the chooser. It's primarily where the battle is, is fought. And your strength, that's your physical body, what you do with it. Did that not cover the whole person? So whatever we're to do is love, it's not just a mental exercise. It somehow has to engulf the whole person that we are. And to learn that is a whole lot better learned in the crucible of experience than it is in a textbook. Without experiencing personally, folks, the love of God in this holistic fashion our base of operation for loving, our base of operation for loving is sabotaged at its very roots by the devil, by the world, and by our selfishness. We got to get in that place where we're knowing God's love, experiencing God's love, and living in God's love. And then we're in a place to do some loving. Neil Anderson, he often makes in his books um, these uh, statements of affirmation that he wants us. If you've read any of his books and if you've been around here a while, you probably have because I'm always pushing them. And uh, you'd think I own stock in his company, you know, but I don't. But he, uh, he always is, is big on these writing things down, affirmation statements, and then, and then uh, reading them to yourselves over and over and over to remind yourselves of truth because truth can come in and go out and leave us as quickly as it came. And one of these affirmation statements that he, he had in a book that I'm reading now, it's a really more of a purpose statement to me. If I was going to put it in a column in my prayer book, I would put it in the purpose statements and not my affirmation statements. But he, he listed it as a doctrinal affirmation statement, his era. But let me read it to you, all right? He wrote the book. I don't know why I think I can correct him. This is what he said. I renounce all selfish goals... And I choose the ultimate goal of love. I choose to obey the two greatest commandments. To love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength. And to love my neighbor as myself. That's pretty powerful if you grasp the love. Have you ever thought about it that way? 
I'm choosing to live today in obedience to the highest command. I thought that was pretty powerful. And that highest command is to love. How wide and how long and how high and how deep it is. And to get that love, we must understand the love of Christ. Notice we have an ad, uh, admonishment, an admonition by Paul to, uh, to live a life of love just as Christ loved us. And what did he do in loving us? He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice unto God. Jesus' life brought the love of God within our reach. He was the Son of God, sent by God to bring the children of God home. That's love. Heard a story once, made up probably, about a man who had a dearly loved daughter and she had a rebellious streak. And you know how the story goes. I mean, she wasn't guilty of any big transgression, but she hung out with the wrong people and pretty soon the crowd owned her. And eventually she was trapped and she was held hostage, really, against her will, couldn't be free. Her life really was a living hell at this point. Without the possibility of escape, no escape. But a father who loved her and had loved her all along in desperation sent his oldest son, well-equipped, well-trained, and not alone, to go and get her out. This was not a difficult service for this young man because he loved his aged father and he loved his sister. It was quite a struggle, but the passageway for her safe return was created and she jumped at the chance and ran through that door of opportunity to return to her father. Obviously, there's some similarities in this story and our redemptive story. Obviously, it's not a total perfect picture. But sin and rebellion of mankind and each of us in our own individual rebellion against God <clears throat> put us in a place where the devil was able to hold us captive. And we were unable to escape. Sin and death and hell kept us in its, its jaws as the steel trap closed. But because of the love of our Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus, the Father sent Jesus, and Jesus went to be the Savior of the world, to bring His children home. It was a labor of love in which Jesus gave up His physical life here on earth in obedience to the Heavenly Father in order to create a passageway for us to return safely to the Heavenly Father. And I'm still amazed today that not everybody takes it. Now, it's really important that you understand that. Maybe I should go back and just do the whole illustration and read that all one more time. Because how are you going to live a life of love and self-sacrifice, a fragrant offering to the Heavenly Father if you don't understand what Jesus did? In John, 1 John 4 and 13, 17, I'm reading this from the King James because I memorized it in this and I liked it better this morning. So there. Hereby know that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. 
And whosoever sh shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, well, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and we believe the love that God hath for us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. That's pretty powerful. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. So how are we to live in this world a life of love? Simple, just as he is, so are we in this world. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering, sacrifice unto God, so we are to be in this world. I've known a lot of missionaries in my lifetime. And a lot of them, and all of them, I ask them about the call when I had a one-on-one -on -one with them. How do you know you were called to missions? And a lot of them I found had a repetitive testimony, and this was it. They found a people, they said, that they could love. A people group that they could love. And they were willing and, in fact, eager to offer a life in obedient service to God who loved those people more than they did <laughs> in order to serve those people and bring the love of God and the love of our Savior Christ Jesus within their grasp to make that precious passageway a little more, a little more available. A little closer so that the children of God might be brought home. Have you found your place in this world? Have you found a people you can love and in fact feel called to love? And in fact are willing to sacrifice yourself in bringing the love of God to those people? And serve them in that fashion. We all are to have that somewhere in our world, I believe. And in a broad general sense, we're to love everybody that God puts in our world. But I think it is phenomenal that these missionaries come to a place where they are compelled by the love of a particular people that they want to bring the message of God to and the love of God to so much that they're willing to make those kinds of sacrifices. And they give it all. They walk away from homes and family. They walk away from money. They walk away from everything in order to accomplish this. The definition of love that I recite to you all the time, I stole from a seminary professor named William Coble. And it is this, love is self-sacrifice for the good of another, the another being the individual love. Self-sacrifice for the good, for the good of the individual loved. There's no greater good you, that you and I can do than to bring the gospel to folks. With all the anger in the Northwest, it becomes more and more challenging, I think, for me to see people as God sees them. Are you struggling with that? Oh, it's just a me thing. I'm sorry. Does God love them? 
2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as under, some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Huh. Do you want everyone to come to repentance? Are we on that praise, church? Are we living love in our world? Living a life of love. You are a dearly loved child of God. It's there I began and it's there I want to end. We read it last week, John 17, 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity. To let the world know that you sent me. And that, and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. That's a powerful verse. Because for years and years and years, I have always, I had always thought of Jesus being the favorite son. And in my humanness, I saw God's love for him to be far more than his love for me. That's the way we would think down here. That's the chosen child. And I'm the black sheep. But according to that verse, he loves me. Just like he loved Jesus. Now when the Bible says you are a dearly loved child of God. It's not lying. And I don't know a greater love that the father could have for you. Than a love that would equal the love he had for his own son. And if we would step into that and experience that. Then we would be in that place I think too. Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God. I haven't been in the baptistry a while, I might as well do it this morning. And I'll close the service from there this morning. The invitation really this morning. If you decide to be baptized this morning, I urge you to wait till the second service. No, it's tolerable. It really is. It's really been to you. Uh, Christian, not really to the lost person. To go back and to recapture the first love you had for Christ and to step into the love that he has for you. We step away from that sometimes and we don't experience the love of God. And without that perspective, without standing in that place of living in experientially, touching our whole body, the love of God in our lives, we're never going to be in that place 
to live a life of love like Christ did, that sacrificial service in obedience to the Heavenly Father, bringing that love to all the world. And so that's my challenge to you this morning, is to walk through this world and live a life of love and to ask yourself if you're doing that. And boy, I tell you, when you start thinking about selfish motives and self-preservation, you're going to find that there's a lot that you're doing, or I do. I find there's a lot I'm doing that needs to be cold because it's, it's about me. And there are some things I'm doing in bitterness, but I'm doing them because that's my responsibility. I feel like God in his word has made that very clear, and I'm going to do this because this is what he wants. But I'm not living that life of love. I'm living a life of bitterness in a, in a begrudging obedience. I'm like the little boy whose dad says, close the door. And I get up and I go close it, but I slam it because I don't really want to be there closing it. Live a life of love like Christ did for us. That's the model. If you've never experienced that love, you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, Walk into that this morning. You can come and receive Him as your Lord and Savior by simply calling upon the name of the Lord, asking Him to forgive your sins, and you can take that first step of obedience this morning and follow Him in baptism. We have all the stuff you need to be able to do that. Is this easy? When I signed up, I came from a good daddy's home. When mom and daddy loved each other, where love abound, I was the hallmark movie. And when, when, when the story came into my life, live a life of love, I thought, why not? This is beautiful. This is way better than it takes a village or it takes a commune. This is good stuff. I'm all in. But we're living in a world that feels like a divorced family. And some of us are facing challenges we've never faced before. Our Hallmark movie has been crushed. And we're getting to, for the first time, really look at the depths of what we have with Christ Jesus and understanding His love and live that in a hostile situation. And folks, it's not easy. To pick up a cross and take it to Mount Calvary is not easy. But we can't do it in bitterness. We can't do it in anger. We have to do it in love. Now I realize I'm probably preaching more to me this morning than I am to you. And when I'm doing this, there are all of these pointing back, you know. But if you're on the same page I am, if you're struggling in the Northwest like I am, there is a, a call in this message to come back to our first love. We're in a battle, and the enemy is going crazy. And if you're not affected and feeling his assaults, hold fast, you will. Live a life of love. There is no higher calling. There is no greater commandment. Here's the lead us as we sing. <laughs>